Welcome. Welcome to the Lord's house. Will you stand? Let's begin our service this morning. All of, all of y'all out there in the welcome area, come on in.
Amen. Awesome song. Thank you guys for kicking off our service with that great music. Good morning. How we doing? Welcome to Cavanaugh Church. It's so good to see each and every one of you here today. We're going to have an amazing day because we're celebrating salvation in Jesus. And that's what it's about. No matter what's going on in life, Jesus, he's, he's taking care of it. He has provided salvation for us. So we're going to celebrate that today. I'm so pumped to do that with you. Uh, normally, our youth pastor does the welcome. Well, he's headed to Tulsa with some of the teens to a big concert called Winter Jam. Okay? So that means all day they're going to be jamming with Jesus. Okay? It's going to be lively. Y'all want to load up and, and meet them there after service? They get back at midnight. You're out, right? <laughs> uh, but seriously, we're glad that y'all are here. If you're joining Kavanaugh for the first time today, checking us out, uh, we are so glad you came. We want to meet you right after service. So if you would go through these doors uh, to, to my right, at the end of service, we've got a Connect counter there. And if you'll fill out one of our Connect cards, you can see that in the chair back in front of you. Please drop that off because we've got a Chick-fil-A gift card for you, and we'll answer any questions you might have about the church. And most importantly, we just want to meet you, and we want you to know we're so glad that you came. I'm going to invite everybody to stand, and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll continue our service, okay? God, we love you. It's so good to be in your house and your presence. Help us today to truly celebrate the freedom that we have in you, forgiveness of sins, and the hope of eternal life in heaven when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There's no one like you, Lord, and there's no one else worthy of our praise. So help us today to pour our praise out upon you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In just a minute, we're going to ask you to keep praising and worshiping the Lord. But right now, look around at your neighbors and greet them, okay? Be friendly. Thank you. 
what he's done, what he's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. That's the words in this next song. The Bible is full, not of stories, because every word is true. It's full of events that shows us of what he's done. He parted the Red Sea so Moses and over a million Israelites could go through to, to escape Pharaoh and his army. That's what he's done. Three Hebrew children would not bow and worship a false god, and they were thrown into a fiery furnace. When the king and his men looked in, they saw a fourth man in the fire who looked like the Son of God. That's what he's done. Daniel was thrown into the den of hungry lions because he would not stop praying. God shut the mouths of those hungry lions and he protected Daniel. That's what he's done. Jesus came to earth as a baby and he lived and he died. But on that third day again, he rose to give each one of us a chance at eternal life. That is what he's done. He took this 10-year-old girl and he saved me. He delivered me and he gave me three children, five grandchildren, and he brought my daughter through cancer. That's what he's done for me. I could look around here at each one of you, and I do today, and I could name something, at least one thing, and mostly multiple things that he's done for you. As we sing this song, let's give him the praise and the glory and the honor of what he's done. On the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from his side, no greater sacrifice. What he's done, what he's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. Sing for the freedom He has won. Even death is dead and done, his life has overcome. Speak, say the name above all names, over every broken place. He's risen from the grave. What he's
throne of majesty the father's will complete he reigns in victory for giving us a future in heaven, for forgiving our sins. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the changes that you bring into our lives when we choose you and we follow you. We thank you for what you will do, for what we know you will do. We thank you that your promises are true. Lord, I pray that this morning you would open our eyes and open our hearts to what you want to do. I pray that we would see it, Lord, and that, that today we would just say yes to you. That we would follow you with our hearts, with our lives, with our walk. And that we would openly praise you and thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you do for us. And that that would lead other people to you. Pray, pray that you would just continue to bless this service, Lord, and speak, speak to each one of our hearts the way that only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. I tell you what, this is our anthem at Kavanaugh Church, what he's done, amen? Hey, Brother Jason, can I get a hand here, man? Can you help me with the pulpit? Brother, Brother Nathan's gone, and we got Jason to bring the pulpit up. And I brought some friends with me today that uh, we're going to start our sermon with. These are actually sisters, okay? Say hi to the sisters. Oh, I'm just wasting time right here, just waiting a second. 
get you in here with me. It's, a, it's an object lesson we're going to start our sermon with today. The sisters are with me. Who are the sisters? Well, let me tell you, the sisters are uh, my Marlin rifles that I shoot cowboy action with. So y'all know that I shoot cowboy action. What's my cowboy name? Holy smoke, I actually shot some cowboy shooting yesterday at the Old Fort Gun Club. We shoot two single action revolvers, minor Rugers, a a double barrel shotgun is what I shoot, and then my rifle is a Marlin 1894. So this one wasn't made in actually 1894, it's a copy of that. Both of these Marlins were actually made in the 1980s by the company Marlin, who was sold to Remington. Then they were sold to Ruger, and we hope that they're coming back as as a good rifle. These were made in the 1980s. I bought both of them from a cowboy friend of mine in Atlanta, Georgia. They are a Marlin Special 38 only. Most of the Marlins were 357 38s. These were made specifically for 38s for cowboy shooting. They're both color-cased hardened. Uh, I bought both of them from the same guy. One of them had never been shot before. Even though it was produced in 1980, pristine, never shot, the other one had only been shot a couple of times. As soon as I bought both of these rifles from him, I sent them to my cowboy gunsmith in Illinois. His name is Cowboy Cardi, and I got him to, quote unquote, short stroke both of these Marlins. When I called Cowboy Cardi, I said, Cardi, I want them to be kissing cousins when you're done. I want them to be sisters. I want to be able to pick them up and have them feel the same way as I work this lever and shoot the same way. Well, he kind of laughed at me and said, I'll do my best, all right? Now, what Cardi does is takes all the internal components out of the rifle, rebuilds two or three of them, and then polishes the rest of them and puts it back together. When he is done, this lever has been short-stroked. That means it, it doesn't go as far up when you move the lever. Thus, a short stroke. What's the purpose of that? For speed. And this game is all about speed and accuracy. So theoretically, they go faster when they've been short stroke. And this thing is so smooth. It's as smooth as butter. I, I can rack it with one finger, and that's how I shoot. So we load it with 10, and literally, this rifle will shoot as fast as I can work that lever. Now, I'm not very good at it. I got a friend named Deadeye Dillard, who is a world champion. He shoots a Marlin, and he can make his Marlin sound like a machine gun when he shoots it. The point of all this is, I told Cardi I wanted them to be sisters. When they got back, they're not sisters. One of them has become my practice rifle. This one is my competition rifle. Yes, there's a difference between the two. Even though they were worked on by the same gunsmith who did the exact same things to them, they turned out different. You can't make two rifles the same. And so my practice rifle is never used in competition. I never use my competition rifle in practice. And if you blindfolded me and gave me one of these rifles and I ran the lever, I could tell you which gun it was by the way it feels. Now you're wondering, what is your point? My point is this. As much as I wanted them to be just exactly alike, you can't make them alike. 
That's the same way it is with everybody in this room. Even though we all have a head and ears and eyes, mouth and teeth and a tongue, we all have fingers and elbows and toes and knees, we are all different. Because God made us different. God made us unique. There is nobody else that is exactly like you because God hand-formed and shaped and designed and wired you to be you. You're special. You really are special. You know what? That is true even with twins. We got some twins in our church. I'll just pick on Josh and Caleb right now. You go back and look at pictures of Josh and Caleb when they were little boys. They looked exactly alike, you know? When I pastored Oak Park Church in Pine Bluff, a church of 250 people, I had five sets of twins in that church. All of them were identical twins, weren't they, Angie? I remember two little boys, same age as my daughter Whitney, the Merritt twins. Lord have mercy. They were identical little boys that ran around. Their mama dressed them exactly the same. And you couldn't tell the difference between the two. As they got a little bit older, they knew they could trick me. And so every Sunday, they'd come running up to me just giggling, saying, which one am I? Who am I? Who am I? Which one am I? I said, you're the Merritt kids. Get out of here, you know. But you know what? They were different because we all are different. I was with a family in our church not long ago, and, and uh, mom, dad, daughter, son, who are grown, the, the, uh, the sister said about her brother who had said something or done something, she looked at me and she said, can you believe that we came out of the same womb? <laughs> Just proves my point. You are unique. You are special. God made you that way. You know what? It's not just me saying that. The Word of God tells us we are unique and special. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God shaped man from the soil or the dust of the ground. He blew the breath of life into his nostrils, and man became a living being or a living soul. So here is God on the riverbank. He just created the earth, and he reached down and took some dirt, some soil, some mud, and the Bible says he hand-formed, he shaped out of that mud man, Adam. And after he had shaped the body out of earth, he blew into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and mankind started. God handmade Adam. He custom-made Adam. I want you to see that God not only did that for Adam, he did it for you. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalms 139 verse 13. He said, God, you made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's body. I praise you because you made me in an amazing and in a wonderful way. You saw my bones being formed as I took shape in my mother's body. Well, you know what, church, I could do a timeout and spend a whole sermon on the fact that you were a human being at the moment of conception. And even though, Doc, even though we can't see a baby being formed in its mother's womb, God sure can. 
You saw me take shape in my mother's body. When I was put together, there you saw my body as it was formed. Get this. All the days of my life were written in your book before I was a single day old. Don't tell me that God is not concerned about your life or involved in your days. He is. This verse says, God made me, God formed me, God saw me, God shaped me, He put me together, and God planned every single day of my life before I was a single day old. Get this, church, your parents may not have planned you, but God sure did. And it really doesn't matter whether your parents were good parents or bad parents or indifferent. Maybe you never knew them or maybe you were orphaned or maybe your father died before you were born or maybe your mother somehow died before you got to know her. The point is this, God chose that man and that woman, those parents to be your parents. Why? Why why did God choose them? Because God knew that they had the exact DNA to make you. And God wanted to make you. I can tell you this, God was more interested in creating you than he was in their parenting skills. Does that make sense? The point I'm trying to make to you is that you are not an accident. You are special. Job said this in Job chapter 10, verse 8, God, your hands formed and shaped me. Did you know that you were handmade by God? Handcrafted. You you weren't produced off of some kid assembly line. God was intricately and intimately involved in the specifics of creating you. Now, what does that mean? Well, it it means that you're not an accident. It simply means that God chose every detail of your life to make you, you, even the stuff that you don't like about yourself. And after God made you, he broke the mold. After God made Adam, he broke the mold. After God made Eve, he broke the mold. Adam looked at Eve and said, honey, you're the only woman in the world for me. And he was telling the truth. (laughs) Nobody else will ever be exactly like you. You are never, ever going to find anybody with your thumbprint, with your footprint, with your eye print. Why? Because you are unique. Now, why in the world did God go to all that trouble to make you, you? Because, Because he wanted you to be an original. If he had wanted you to be somebody else, then you know what? He wouldn't have made you. He would have made somebody else. But he wanted you to be you. I think I'm more excited about this than you are. Here's the problem with all of this. Here's the problem. First, most people don't like the way they are. I found that most people really don't accept themselves. They're always saying stuff like this. I wish I was taller I wish I was shorter. I wish I was thinner. I wish I had red hair, brown hair, black hair, or blue hair, green hair, or orange hair, or purple hair. I wish I had a different skin color. I don't like my nose. I have never liked my teeth. I I wish I had more talent. I I wish I could be like her. I wish I, I looked like him. 
Why? Because we really don't accept ourselves. We are always comparing and competing rather than accepting ourselves the way God made us. And you know what the result of all that is? Complete and total frustration. You're frustrated with your life because you're wanting to to look like and be like somebody else because you don't like the way you are. And the second thing that people do is that's it. They, they want to be somebody else. They don't like the way they are, so they want to be somebody else. They say, I've got to wear shoes like her. I've got to dress like him. Or, I've got to make as much money as they do. Or, I've got to do what she's done. I've got to please my parents. Most people start off as originals, but they end up as carbon copies of somebody else. Can I be real honest with you? If you're not going to be you, then why do we need you here on planet Earth? There's, there's somebody else already taking that spot. Only you can be you. God said, I made you. I formed you. I shaped you. I designed you. I wired you to be you. Are you with me? Now, why in the world am I preaching this? Because we're, we're about to start C groups on understanding your spiritual gifts. And this is the foundational sermon for understanding your spiritual gifts. You need to understand God formed you. God made you. God shaped you to be you. Not for you to be selfish. Not for you to use all this stuff God gave you for yourself. But to use it to make this world a better place. He made you to make a difference. He made you and put you into this body, the church, so that you could exalt and edify not only him, but each other. So the Bible tells us, and we read it in three different passages, that God shaped us. Let's talk about our spiritual shape this morning. Your shape is the way God wired your life. Every area of your life is influenced by the way that you have been shaped. You are the person you are because God shaped you and formed you that way. So when you hear the name Will Harmon, you get this image of of me, the way I'm shaped. When I think of Jason Nichols, I, I think of him, that guy right there. God formed and shaped Jason. And there's not another Jason Nichols like this Jason Nichols on the face of the earth. Joy, say amen. We're unique, we're special. What what does this word shape really mean? Well, it's really your design. You are designed by God to make a difference for God. That was amen worthy. You are designed by God to make a difference for God. I love Ephesians 2.10. You know, the, the, the version I memorized, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You know that? I love it out of the Phillips translation. Here's what it says. For we are God's, read that word. Isn't that beautiful? We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. When God looks down at you, you know what he says? There's my masterpiece. So look at your neighbor, look at somebody right now, look at somebody, say, you are a masterpiece. 
Now, some of y'all didn't do it because you really don't think that much of the person next to you, but you know, there you go. You are a masterpiece. And as we lay the foundation for understanding spiritual gifts, let's spell that word shape, S-H-A-P-E, and discover what our design is. Let's discover how God formed us and shaped us. For example, the S in shape stands for, you say it, spiritual gifts, what we're about to study. So here's the deal. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, your life is transformed and it is totally changed. You recognize that you are a sinner and that you need salvation. And the only way you're going to get to heaven is invite Jesus into your heart. And so you make that choice. If you haven't done that, you can do it this morning. Just come down to the altar. We'll help you pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe you are the Son of God, and I trust and follow you now. You pray a simple prayer like that and mean it from the bottom of your heart, God will change your life. You make the choice, he makes the change. And when you invite Jesus into your heart, bang, it happens right then. He saves you right then. He changes you from the inside out. The Bible says you become a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. And at the moment of conversion, when you pray that prayer, His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. So you have a member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you to lead you, guide you, comfort you, convict you. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does when he moves in your heart is gives you or endows you with a spiritual gift. We all get one. Some of you get multiple gifts. But the Holy Spirit gives all of us as believers a spiritual gift you get at least one but here's the deal about spiritual gifts it is a spiritual what gift and so you got to unwrap it you've been given the gift you just got to unwrap the gift now how many of you would receive a birthday gift and just never unwrap it put it in your closet or up in the attic never never unwrap it well not many of you because you're smarter than that You'd want to dig into that thing and see what it is, right? Some of us have been Christians for, for days, months, weeks, years, and we've never unwrapped our spiritual gift. You, you have no clue as to what your spiritual gift is. The reason we're doing this study is we, we want you to discover your spiritual gift. You're given at least one, and you are to use that gift for the building up of the body of Christ. That spiritual gift is not for you personally to use on yourself. It's not for your own edification. It is for the edification of the church. God gave you your gift so that you can minister to this body. We're going to find out, I think it's in the very first lesson, there, there are over 20 spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. They fall under two broad categories. They're either speaking gifts or serving gifts. And my hope is that through this study, a light's going to come on in your mind and say, that's the gift God gave me. That's what I am to be doing in his ministry. God shaped me and gave me this spiritual gift to use for his kingdom. So the S stands for? Come on, people, you're going to have to do better than that. The S stands for? 
The H in shape stands for heart, or I can call it passion. Let me put it like this. What did you get excited about? What puts, like this, what puts the quiver in your liver? What's the thing that gets you up in the morning? What is it that turns your crank? There are certain things in life that you are passionate about, and there are certain things you're not passionate about. So my question to you is, what are you passionate about? We want to help you unlock that passion for God's glory as we travel through this series because God has given you something that just burns inside of you. And you know what? If you're not doing that thing, man, you're going to burn up. You're you're not going to let it out and you need to let it out because that's the way God made it for you. So the H stands for The A in shape stands for ability. God has given all of us natural abilities, amen? You've got certain abilities, certain things that you're good at, things that just come natural for you. I was talking to a a friend of mine yesterday. Uh, His daughter's, I think she's in junior high school, maybe a a ninth grader. Uh, She's a great dancer. She's on all these dance teams. But this year at school, for the first time, she she joined the basketball team and is playing basketball. And he's so proud of her, not only that she's a dancer, but she's on this basketball team. Now, the reason he's proud of her is because he played basketball in high school. And his daddy was a legendary... Arkansas high school basketball coach. In fact, I did his funeral uh, a couple of years ago over on the other side of Little Rock, and this guy was a legend in high school basketball. And so now Scott is so excited because his his daughter's playing basketball, and here's what I said to him. I said, well, it it comes natural for her. She's just a natural athlete. And so she just has these natural coordinations and abilities to to do this. Even though she's never done it before, she can do it because she's a natural athlete. Now, how many of y'all would consider yourself just a natural athlete? How many of you wish you were? Yeah, come on. Come on. You bet, man. Some people are natural athletes. They're good. Others of you are, you're a natural artist. You can just sit down at at a table with a blank pad and a pencil and draw just incredible pictures. My stick people look (laughs) awful. They look like something's wrong with them, right? So God bless you if you have that ability. That that who gave you that ability? Come on, people, God did. Some of you have a music ability. You can, you can hear a note and tell, you know, or, or a voice and tell if it's on pitch or on key. Some of you can sit down at a piano, not many of you, but some of you can sit down and just play because you can hear it and your fingers can work that way. Some can sit down with a guitar, never having picked it up before, and rhythm, do something, play something. Some of you think you can do all those things, but you really can't do those things. <laughs> Others of you, who gave you that ability? God did. Others of you have a mechanical kind of mind. You, you could, for example, just look at this gun and start taking it apart and take all the pieces out and then put it back together and not have any parts left over. Others of us can't do that. We've got to watch YouTube video after YouTube video, and then we still mess it up. Are you with me? What my hope and desire for you this series is that you get 
yeah, that's what I'm good at. That's my ability. And that you take all of these abilities and let them rise to the top, the things that you're really good at, and understand that God wants me to use what I'm good at for his kingdom. The P in shape stands for... I'm losing yet personality. This is where we look to answer the question, how has God wired me? You know, we all navigate life differently. Some of us in this room are very competitive. This past Friday, we uh, had the funeral of my pastor growing up, Carl Cheshire. He was also the pastor of Kavanaugh Church for 28 years. Let me just stop right here, and I've got to say this. Kavanaugh Church would not be the church it is today had it not been for Brother Carl. I wouldn't be here today had it not been for Brother Carl. I was so honored when the family asked me to preach his funeral sermon. And one of the things I talked about is how competitive Brother Carl was. Did you know that? Oh my goodness. He would be smiling the whole time while he was gritting his teeth with a hunger to beat you. And, and, and I think I have a lot of characteristics of Brother Carl. I kind of have a similar leadership style as he do, d- did, but I tell you this, I'm just as competitive. Now, I love you, and I care about you, but if we're competing, I want to beat you. God bless you. Some are competitive. Others in this room are just cooperative. Uh, Go along to get along. Some are extroverts. I just heard from them. (laughs) Others are introverts. Some of us are self-expressive while others are self-controlled. Some people in this room just love variety. You're going on a trip. You don't plan nothing. You just get up, and whichever way the wind's blowing, that's the way you're going to go. While others in this room just love to be around routine. And what is amazing to me is sometimes God takes a man and a woman in marriage and puts together routine and variety, and God just sits back and watches the sparks fly. How's God made you? How has God wired you? Let me put it like this. If you're an extrovert, don't try to be an introvert. God didn't make you that way. And if you're an introvert, don't don't try to be an extrovert. You just be the best introvert that God made. The E, and we're about finished, say praise the Lord. Oh, come on. You can say it. I said to say it. The E in shape stands for experiences. You know what? We, We all have different experiences in life. So it doesn't matter if you were raised in the Beaver Cleaver household or the Munsters household. (laughs) Whatever your experiences are, God can use them. And God wants to use them, both the positive and the painful. He allowed you to go through whatever it is you went through so that you could learn from it and then you could help somebody else when they go through that exact same thing. I've told you this story before, but it happened way back in 1974, Corning, Arkansas. Angie's uh, mom and dad, Peggy and Glendale, had five kids. They were a great, great family, went to church, 
Glendale and Peggy loved their kids and provided for them. They were, they were a close-knit family. Relatives lived all around the Corning area. For four years, her daddy, Glendale, served as a deputy sheriff for the Clay County Sheriff's Office. One morning, he was called out to, I think, is the town called, where? McDougal, that's right. McDougal, little town outside of Corning, suburb of Corning. <laughs> for a domestic disturbance. It was a man who hated the sheriff. In fact, he had publicly threatened the sheriff's life. And so he forced his daughter at gunpoint to call in a report that he was abusing them so that the sheriff would come out to his house. And when the sheriff and two deputies arrived, he was over in the barn with an arsenal of weapons. And when they got out of their police vehicles, their sheriff's cars, he opened fire on them. Glenda was 35 years old. And he was killed. His life cut way too short. Can't tell you how devastated that left the Archer family. Here was this young mama named Peggy. Now she had to raise five kids by herself. But thank God they were members of a good church who knew what family was all about. There was a man and woman in the church who literally, they literally moved in with you guys and for a year they lived in your house and they helped Peggy take care of these kids. Thank God for that. You know what? If, if you were to ask Miss Peggy today, if there's one thing in her life she would like to go back and rewrite, I think that might be it. She didn't choose for her daddy to be murdered, but he was. And she had to live through it. I think the only good thing from that is this. It taught Miss Angie a whole lot of lessons. And it allowed her to see life from a different perspective. And in our 30 years of ministry, when we've had a little kid lose their mama or their daddy... Or on some occasions, a little kid who have lost both of their parents. You know what? I can sit down with those kids and I can try to explain to them theologically what has happened and that God is still the Father and that God cares about them. And I can try my best to explain that to him. But Miss Angie can sit down with them and on a different level connect with them. Why? Because she's lived through it. She has experienced it. And she has a love and empathy for them that I don't even come close to. Guys, let me tell you, sometimes we gripe and complain about the experiences that we go through. And I am so sorry that you have to face hard times. And I am so sorry that bad things happen to you. But they're not altogether bad. Bad things happen because we live in an evil world that is perverted. But God can even take those bad things that you go through and bring glory, honor, and praise to His name. And He's not going to allow those experiences to pass through your life without making a difference in you and giving you the ability to turn around and help somebody else when they go through the exact same thing. 
So as God has shaped you, he's given you these experiences so that you can use for his honor and glory. Here's the bottom line. You're made by God to make a difference for God. Now, why should I care? Why should I care about how God shaped me? Well, I'm going to close with just a couple of reasons. Maybe you've already turned me off. Turn me back on, all right? A couple of reasons why you should care about your shape. Number one, my shape reveals God's purpose for my life. The, The way you find out what God wants you to do with your life is to discover how he shaped me, what spiritual gifts he's given me, what my passion is what my abilities are, what my personality is, what my experiences are. They all work together for me to understand my purpose for being here. Architects have a phrase that goes like this, form follows function. What that means is this, you tell an architect what you want a building to be built for, what you're going to use that building for, and they'll tell you how the building needs to be built. If, if you want a church, but you say, I want to build a church, so they're going to draw a, a building like this. But if you're wanting to build a, a theater or a cafeteria or a school or a gas station, it, it's going to be something totally different. Tell, tell me what the function is you're going to do in it, and then we will design a building for that function. That's how it works in the world of an architect. With human beings, it's the exact opposite. In human beings... Function follows form. In other words, you figure out how God shaped you, how God made you, how God wired you, and then you're going to know what your purpose in life is. If you figure out how God wired you, you're going to know God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life, what he expects you to do. Because God will never give me a gift and a heart and ability and personalities and experiences in one area and then come back and say to me, by the way, we're going to ignore all of that. I want you to do this over here, something that you hate and something you're bad at. No, God's not going to do that. If you're good at something, it's a pretty good indication that's the way God wired you and that's what he wants you to do. Jeremiah 1.5 confirms this. It says, before I shaped you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. God had holy plans for you even before you were born. For Jeremiah, it was to be a spokesman for the nations. That's what God had in mind for him. You know what? God had something in mind for you. While you were being formed in your mother's womb, at that point of conception, nay, I would say even before that, God knew you. God planned on you. And so he shaped you and designed you to do with your life what he made you to do. But here's here's the thing. God will never force you to do what he made you to do. What are are we, Kavanaugh, what? Free will Baptist Church. I like that. Because it designates us as having a free will, and you do. God didn't make you a robot. You have a decision, a choice to make. And you know what? You can waste your life. You can blow your life. You can use it on all kinds of personal, self-centered things and totally miss God's plan and purpose for your life. In fact, a lot of people do that. And it's a tragedy. 
That's why so many people are so frustrated. Why they're lonely, why they worry, why they're depressed. Because they're trying to do something they weren't made to do. They're trying to be something they weren't made to be. God, let me tell you something. If, if you just figure out how God shaped you, and then you dedicate that to God and say, God, I'm laying my life on the altar. I'll do whatever it is you made me to do. You will have what the world doesn't have. Peace. A peace this world can't take away. God said, before you were ever born, I had plans for you. Finally, my shape equips me to serve him. Isaiah says it like this, Isaiah 49, 5. God formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant. And he commissioned me. So God has a mission for you, something for you to do. He's commissioned you to do that. God said, I shaped you to serve me. I've made you for a mission. And there is a life mission that God has for you that, you know what, nobody else can do. God made you to do something that nobody else is going to do. How do I know that? Because of the story of Jonah. Jonah is the only one who could have gone and preached to the Ninevites and saw a complete revival. Can I just do a timeout? So many people are critical of the revival that's happening at Asbury right now, and they're saying all this that is wrong with it. I say praise God. We need revival. God, send revival to a college campus, yes. Send revival to Kavanaugh Church, yes. I don't know about you, but I'm all for revival. Now I forgot what I was talking about when I got off on, I got off on revival. Somebody help me, I'm serious. I... Jonah, yeah. Thank you. See, I got sidetracked. That's what preachers do sometimes. Bird, rabbit, <laughs> squirrel, squirrel. Say, I've done it again. What was I talking about? I knew. I was just testing you. No, nobody could have gone and preached to the Ninevites except Jonah. Why in the world did God waste all that time getting Jonah to a point where he said yes? Because God called Jonah to do that. Nobody else could. That tells me if you don't do what God made you to do, excuse the vernacular, it ain't going to get done. He has a mission for you. And the greatest fulfillment in life is for you to figure that out. To find, follow, and finish God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for your life. And can I tell you this? God is never going to ask you to do anything in life that he hasn't equipped you to do. So there it is. He shaped you. You're unique. You're special. You are a masterpiece. You know what? That doesn't mean anything unless you say yes to him. You've got to say yes to him. You've got to make that choice to put Jesus first place in your life, to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, man, I plead with you. I invite you. Let's, let's come and take care of that business today where you invite Jesus into your heart and surrender your all to him. And then if you've done that, here's the thing. You, you need to understand God shaped you, formed you, made you, designed you, wired you to do something in his kingdom. And you're doing God no good until you get up out of your chair 
and get to work. And I think a good way to do that this morning, maybe, maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is, but you can initiate it this morning by coming down and saying, Lord, show me what I'm supposed to do. And I'm telling you, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever it is you ask, I'll say yes. When we stand before God, he's going to ask us a couple of questions. Number one, most important, what have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? Let's get that one right. But I think he's also going to ask us if we have said yes to Jesus. By the way, what did you do with all that stuff I gave you? And I'm not talking about Marlin rifles. I'm not talking about a 1960 Chevy pickup. Did you see my, my little... Can y'all see that? Come look at it afterwards. It's pretty cool. It's my 1960. not talking about that kind of stuff. When he says, what did you do with all that stuff? He's talking about, what did you do with the spiritual gift I gave you? What did you do with that heart, that passion I put inside of you? What did you do with all those abilities I endowed you with? That personality that I gave you? What did you do with all those experiences I let you live through? I I don't know the outcome of the answer to that question. I just know he's going to ask me that. So I want to be ready to say, Lord, I did the very best I could do. I used the spiritual gifts, the heart, the passion, the abilities, the experiences. I used them for your kingdom. Can you say that? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd do something special in our hearts right now. For those who need to come and be saved, I pray that they would step out this morning, Lord, and receive you as Savior of their life. Lord, for the rest of us, I I pray that we would come this morning and uh, just say, yes, Lord, yes, use me in your kingdom. Lord, show me what you made me to do and help me to do it. Lord, show me my spiritual gift. Show me my abilities. Show me how it all comes together and what it is you want me to be doing, not only in this world, but at Kavanaugh Church. And Lord, please use me. I pray, dear Lord, that as you speak to hearts, we would respond in faith and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Praise teams are going to sing. Come and say yes to Jesus. If there's a burden on your heart, come and and talk to him about it. Whatever it is you need to do this morning at the altar, right now is the time to do it. Come on. Come on.
Lord, we truly do that today. We give you everything, hold nothing back for ourselves. Lord, I pray that as we come before you today and surrender everything, I pray, dear Lord, that we would just, uh, again, take our hands off the steering wheel of our life and let you be in control. Lord, show us how you shaped us and use us to make a difference in this world. I love you so much. Love these people. I pray a blessing on everyone in this room and all those watching online. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Amen. Amen. Okay, so when you walk out the door today, make sure you drop your offering in one of those black boxes. We'd appreciate it. C groups start today. If you haven't signed up for a C group, you can do it as you walk out these doors into the lobby. You'll see all the tables and a sheet at the front of these tables says who the leader of that particular C group is, when they're going to be meeting during the week, and the location they're going to be meeting, okay? So find a good one. They're all good. Find one that is convenient for you and then sign up and start this week. It, it only lasts six weeks, so let's jump in with both feet today and discover what our spiritual gifts are. Come back Wednesday night, we're gonna have our yearly church business meeting. Now we start at seven o'clock and all of the different uh, groups are gonna be meeting in their area. So teams will be in Merge, kids back in Brother Johnny's area, adults in here. But at 7.30, we're all coming into this room and conducting our yearly business meeting. Now, you can pick up one of the budgets and the election of officers. Uh, they are on the Connect counter and also our information counter out in the lobby. Pick one of those up, peruse it, look at it. If you have a question about anything, please either come and ask me or our board chairman, Steve Jones. Raise your hand, Steve. He's in the sound booth. Say hi, Steve. And everybody else say hi to Steve. There you go. You ask him, any of our board members, we can answer your question or we'll find the answer. Point is this, we want all questions answered before we have our business meeting. Why? Because our business meetings are a celebration of what God has done, is doing, and will do at Kavanaugh Church. And we want to answer your questions beforehand so we don't have to waste that celebration time. Did I say that polite enough? Please do, please do that. Wednesday night, that's going to happen. Thursday night, you ladies, raise your hand if you're a lady. You know it, you're proud of it. Raise it high. Bunko night for you, Thursday night, 6 o'clock. I, I, need, I need to sneak into the building and watch this because I don't know. I think some cool things happen when they play Bunko, and it gets pretty wild in here. Saturday, men's prayer breakfast at 7.30. Uh, come to the gym for that. Pray for our guys in Puerto Rico. They'll be finishing up their work project and coming back on Wednesday. Pray for them. Pray for Rick Yates. He is in the hospital, needs our prayers. Pray for Ron Brown. He had a four-way bypass on Friday, and Little Rock is doing well, but we want to lift him up to the Lord. Two families are grieving. Let me tell you about these families. Pray for them. Bino San Nicolas passed away. Bino, a uh, former member of our church, longtime member here, uh, he passed away. His funeral is going to be tomorrow at 1 o'clock right here. And so please pray for the San Nicolas family. And if you can support them, please come for that. Then Jerry Huey passed away. 
Jerry and Mona, great people, longtime members of our church. Uh, Jerry's been battling health issues and cancer. Uh, he went to heaven this past week. His funeral is going to be Thursday, 1 o'clock, at the National Cemetery. So please pray for Mona and the family. Uh, one last thing. At the end of the first service, we had a family join our church. They had taken the Connect class, and uh, this, today they joined Dwight and Tanika Johnson, their two boys, Dwight Jr. and Devin. So pray for them. And if you want to join the church, see Brother Jason, myself, we're going to do another Connect class, a live class, here in just a few weeks in the month of March. Uh, we ask people to go through this Connect class so they can understand Kavanaugh and really decide if they want to be a part of this family. That's going to happen in March, and if you're interested in that, see one of us, okay? I think I've talked long enough. What was I talking about? <laughs> Love you guys. Have a great day. Get out of here.